In our planning, we sat down, SWAT lieutenants, bomb lieutenant, we started looking at events across the nation. There had been two other Draw the Profit type event. Well, Charlie Hebdo was first. Uh, then there was another one in the Netherlands where it was the same. It was very creepy because it was just like this one. And a guy showed up and tried to kill the artist. But when we started doing our intel gathering, we realized pretty quick, hey, look, every time somebody does one of these Draw the Profit things, guys show up with AKs and start shooting people. So we need to be you know, kind of prepared for that. And they're like, well, hey, do we have a chase car? Well, in case they come by, they shoot up and they drive away. Okay, these people are not going to drive away. They are going to stop, get out of the car. They're going to kill as many people as they can until we kill them. That's what we're dealing with here. We're not dealing with Johnny Gangbanger. We're dealing with terrorists, and that's what they're going to do. Well, these guys pull up, and the guy just jumps out with AK, starts shooting at him. Uh, the other guy gets out, they start shooting, and the SWAT guys roll up. They thought they may have devices, they thought the vehicle had devices. Last guy's moving around, they think he has some kind of device. Based on the, the suicide bomber training, shoot that guy in the head. The cool thing about that is, there, there's nothing better as an instructor. The best payback you can get is somebody comes back to you and says, Hey, what you taught me, I used, and I was successful in a gunfight, or I was successful in some kind of SWAT operation, and hey, we remembered what you, you showed us uh, in your debrief, and we used that, and we were successful. That's the best way. You're listening to the ATO Bridging the Divide podcast, brought to you by the Assisted Officer Foundation. Since 1999, the ATO has given assistance to the first responder community, and now we want to give a platform to hear their incredible stories. We also want to hear the stories of the many people that support us. Our community is small, but it is strong. We have differences. We don't always agree, and we all make mistakes. But together we can grow, we can heal, and we can learn from those mistakes. And together we can bridge the divide. You know when you get around that dedicated, inspired leader, instructor, uh, that really excels at their craft, yeah? yeah, they make you better. I think a one man. Okay. That's why I'm so excited about our guest today. His leadership and instruction have been so impactful for countless police officers. He single-handedly, literally, <laughs> made uh, these officers more proficient with their weapon system. He's a United States military graduate with a Bachelor of Science in Engineering. Uh, after his service in the Army, he brought those lead, that leadership training to Garland Police Department, where he's dedicated the last 29 years. 26 of those years have been in some kind of SWAT capacity, whether it be operator, team leader, and commander. And Garland SWAT is talented. Mm -hmm. And I think that is due to his guidance, his work ethic, his training, and his leadership. Uh, he's a Medal of Valor recipient for Garland PD. Um, he just completed his Master of Arts in Homeland Security Counterterrorism from American Military University. Sounds like him. So today, we're here with Joe, Josh, 
And of course, all of you out there listening, supporting the ATO Bridging the Divide podcast. Please welcome, it's an honor to have him in the city of Dallas, Lieutenant Dan Calasanto. Lieutenant Dan. <laughs> Lieutenant Dan. So for the record, Dan, over the years, your name is one of those that's been abused right yes. and left. There's S's added where there's not supposed to be S's. There's, it's gone from many different dialects uh, <laughs> to where it's like, I don't even know what Dan is anymore. Uh, so for the record, give us your, your last name. Colasanto. There. It's, it's Italian. I hope you guys heard that. Don't let me hear any more S's on the last part of his name. <laughs> Dan, thanks for coming on. Oh, absolutely. Thank you for having me. Um, yeah, just like Misty said, your uh, <laughs> your your training, your vast training that you you trained so many people. Right right now, you hold a seat with the TTPOA as a vice president, correct? Yes, that's correct. Okay, that's very fitting for you. Um, <clears throat> and uh, of course, Misty's known you longer than I, but I met you in two thousand six as a brand new SWAT officer going to a advanced rifle and pistol class. Uh, have myself a new SIG. <laughs> blame the sig for the way i shot and you were just so kind and smiled and said that's fine we'll make it better right that's it it's pretty common but uh since then uh we you know i've had a great relationship with you i know misty has and many other teams and many other officers uh not just officers but military personnel you used to be an adjunct instructor with mid-south yep right so uh and i, I can't say enough good things about you well thank you i, I just have to know this because he was a commander swat competition are they worth the time and the effort? Yes. Uh, so, uh, I, didn't, I didn't do what many <laughs> of the competitions. I did a few of them back when I was way younger. Um, did TTPOA a couple times. Uh, did the SWAT Roundup a couple times. Uh, and there's, you know, in, from training, you can't, it, it's hard to induce the stress that's going to be there when, you know, these critical incidents happen. So the one of the one of the best things you can do is the, is the competition because you have the time stress, you have people watching you, you're performing in front of your peers, which is huge because a lot of people, a lot of people don't do that uh, for whatever reason. Um, I think it's ridiculous myself. I mean, we just you guys just put on the uh, had a two gun match for one of your officers, and you know went out there and was talking to several of the guys like, hey, how come everybody's not out here? And the common thread is, well, you know, nobody wants to come out here and kind of. I say, like, show your, oh, yeah. yeah, show your ass in front of these people. And of course, I don't care. Uh, they, they they videoed me, and it was and Brandon, one of our guys, uh, put it out there. And of course, I said, hey, there's not a lot of running here, is there? And uh, of course, the first event, you're down at the hundred, and then you got to jump up, jump up in quotes, because I didn't jump anywhere. It was really funny watching me try to get up off the ground, and then you know, run down to the fifty. But uh, you know, that's where you hone your skills. You're on the clock. You got people watching. I mean, that's that's. Probably, I say, uh, some of the closest stress you're going to get, I mean, as far as preparing for a critical incident. I mean, nobody's, right. you can't, we can't mimic that. There's there's nothing, I mean, you can't have people shooting at you while you do it, but. I thought you guys had that at the Garland uh, no. SWAT school. That was the difference. That's the cutting <laughs> line there. Not, yeah, not only do they run you to the ground up and down, we but they shoot, shoot at you too. See what's going to yeah. happen, yeah. So, we'll I mean, in, in competition's a good, a good thing. There's a lot of. Uh, uh, you know, Mike Pannone and some of the other guys, uh, you know, say that that's a good a good thing to do. They they definitely endorse that, and and it is. You should you should go out there. You should compete. And and then you know, some guys try to use the excuse, well, you're you're training for competition. You're not training for real. If you don't know the difference, then you got a 
bigger problems. I mean, there's a there's a big difference between hey, I'm shooting at paper for competition. I'm trying to hone my skills, and hey, I'm in a real life gunfight. There's a there's a huge difference. So, yeah, I think the ego is what the kind of centers around all of that and that's yeah a big, oh absolutely big definer of those who show up and who don't and uh that's one thing that i know i learned early on through uh <laughs> your training was that uh you need not have an ego whatsoever uh even for the lonely rookie swat guy that the, couldn't shoot worth shit <laughs> talking about the, the 357 versus the nine millimeter. yeah the 357 <laughs> versus the nine we've gone through that glock versus sig um I don't know. Maybe my safety's on the wrong side for a lefty, for or, you know, all. Hey, you all don't, the you don't, but you don't know what you don't know. That's true. That's very so. true. Um, what, what started you down this path, Dan? I mean, you're, you've obviously been involved in SWAT as a form of a commander or a team leader for many years, pretty much your whole career for 26 years, correct? Yes. Yeah. So, what, what started you down this path? So, my the. I was fortunate enough. I graduated from United States Military Academy, uh, go Army, Heat Navy, um, and that's where I. I mean, I went when I was seventeen. My mom had to sign the papers to get me in because I, I went younger. So um, that's where I really learned about leadership. My my first real leadership experience was as the head minute caller. Um, so in summer training, beast barracks, they call it. You you have this. Yeah, everybody has a job. So the job, my job was the head minute caller. So in the in the barracks, there's three clocks on the wall spread out down the hallway, and you have a person assigned to each clock. And their job is at ten minutes, they come out and they say, "Sir, there's ten minutes until assembly for lunch formation. Uniform is." They say the uniform menu for lunch is, and they tell you the menu. Ten minutes, sir. Back off they go. Well, they do that 10, 5, 4, 3, 2, 1, and then one's the last one. So as a head minute caller, not knowing anything really about leadership, I figured, well, my job's easy. I'm just in charge. I don't really have to do anything. Uh, that was a huge mistake, huge mistake on my part. Because what happens is, as a head minute caller, you're supposed to make sure, unbeknownst to me, that they're all there. Well, I figured, well, they knew they were supposed to be there, so I shouldn't have to check on them, right? You have a job. You're going to show up, and that's it. Well. That's not what happened. So one person didn't show up because they were getting jacked up by a firstie. Uh, so my job was my my job was supposed to be to take their spot, which I didn't know that because I figured they were all there. So uh, it was just a, the whole that whole first thing was just a shit show. And I was getting I got just reamed and learned, OK, hey, you're responsible for what goes right and what goes wrong. Really, what goes wrong, not what goes right. If it goes right, your guys or your girls did it. You just, you know, you're just kind of uh, putting the pieces there. Um, but you're supposed to be able to take their spot. You should be able to fill in. You're supposed to make sure they're there and they're doing it right. And if they're not doing it right, then you need to be able to fill in. So it was a significant emotional event for me, and I never forgot it. So after that, then you knew, okay, hey, I take if I take care of my people, they're going to do their job right. I just check on them, make sure they have the stuff that they need, and just get out of the way and just be ready to fill in as needed uh the firearm stuff came to me um when i got hired uh, i got hired early so my job was to like put like general order books together and stuff like that and i remember um the firearms instructor for our police department was tj pilling and he i was out in the hallway and he came out through the double doors with uh black bdu pants his gun belt and his polo shirt said firearms instructor and i'm like 
I want to be like that guy. So I would go out. We Back then, you had open shoot Mondays and Tuesdays. So we were allotted 50 rounds of ammo. So I'd go out to the range, and I'd shoot. I'd reload. I'd bring my own ammo. Um, and then one day, I, I shot my 50. And uh, I remember kind of going up to him as, you know, meek little rookie and goes, uh, sir, I, I shot my 50, but um, maybe I can shoot, like, the Chiefs 50 because, you know, he don't come out here. And, and he looked at me, and he said, Junior, <laughs> there's a whole card of 40 on that, whole box of 40 on that card over there. You just hippity hop on down there, and you just shoot till you're you just till you're just tired of shooting. Don't you worry about it. I'm like, yes, sir. So, and that's what I did. So I wasn't a very good shot. I was probably average in the academy, and I didn't like that. So that's what I did. I would stand down there. Uh, it was my day off, so I would stay down there, and I would probably – I'd stay all day. Uh, he'd have to kick me out. And I would practice reloads and shooting all day long. So that's just something – that's just something – that I recognize, hey, I'm not good at this. I really do probably need to be good at this, and I'm just going to work to get better. And then the instruction part, just I felt like I had, I was fortunate. I had a lot of good instructors. I got to go to Mid South, and I, to me, you need to pass that on. This isn't something you just, oh, I have this knowledge and I'm not telling anybody. That's ridiculous. So, I felt like I kind of owed it, you know, kind of paying it forward, if you want to call it that. So, hey, I need to. Give these people these not. Not everybody gets to do what I got to do, but at least if I share it, hey, I can I can pass it on. You know, maybe not as good as some of these other guys, but they get the general idea. How many <clears throat> over the years? How many officers do you think? Let's just say, well, not just SWAT officers, because the TTPOA has opened up to any police officer majority SWAT that goes through those conferences or just the courses themselves. But every once in a while, you get some others that come through there. How many do you think you have instructed? maybe thousands yeah. by this point thousands and and the cool the cool thing about that is there, there's nothing better as an instructor the best payback you can get is somebody comes back to you and says hey what you taught me i used uh and i was successful in a gunfight or i was successful in some kind of swat operation and hey we remembered what you you showed us uh in your debrief and we used that and we were successful that's the best payback that you can ever get from from doing training, in my opinion, is people coming back saying they used what you told them, it worked, and they were successful. So I've had that happen to me a couple of times, and it's, it's it's an awesome feeling. There's nothing like it. So I know you're a very humble individual. You're not going to pat yourself on the back, but, uh, I mean, you, you do realize, I'm sure you do, but you probably may not be told that all the time from this perspective, but you've, you've really impacted the lives of many individuals, right? You've pre you prepared many officers to go out to uh, face their demons on the street, whatever it may be. And a lot of these are SWAT officers who are involved in a lot of critical incidents already, whether it be a BP, a hazardous warrant, or whatever else come to them. That including the patrol officers that want to better themselves. I mean, that's, I, I just, you know, I want to say thank you because uh, I, I know you impacted my career in SWAT and just not that, just alone for firearms proficiency, but anything and everything else I did from that point forward. That first class I took with you, I took a lot from that. Uh, of course, there's a lot of, changes going on is y'all know when you get in there and you're the new SWAT guy and so on and so forth you really want to suck it up you you can absorb a lot of stuff from a lot of people but you know I want to personally thank you but just to let you know I mean this I don't know if you've ever thought about it from that perspective but I guarantee you Dan you you've impacted the lives of many other many individuals whether it be from the professional or the personal level as far as just 
being around you, you have an aura of, uh, you, you make your classes very fun. I've had a lot of instructors that are very arrogant and, uh, quite honest, they'll say it. I don't normally say things on it, but they're dicks. And, uh, and you're just like, wow, this is, uh, this individual here, you know, is willing to pass down the knowledge, just like you said, not only just willing to give it to you, but giving it to you a different way, right? If you want to make someone correct themselves, it's, it's, it's a different teaching uh, I don't know the word, what I'm looking for, Misty, but it's a different, it's just you teach it a different way, right? You inspire people to do different things as opposed to someone going, you suck, get off that line, you know, and you, you think you're this, and you think you're that, you know, I don't think I've heard you do that. I think I've heard you kindly remove some people from the line because uh, may, maybe some errant rounds, but uh, uh, other than that, just, I can't say enough of you, Misty. Oh, absolutely. Um, thank you. Oh, thank you, got, you. It's a, it's a... <clears throat> It's an overwhelming experience as a female to walk in to a SWAT instruction Ooh, I never class. thought of that. It is overwhelming. And you don't want to be that girl, you know. And so um, you were humble, uh, you were approachable, and your instruction made sense. And, and it was something that I could take with me and go work on my own. The, the skills that you present are, are very simple, basics that allowed me to be faster, especially transitioning from my rifle back to my pistol. And um, it was, I'm so glad that that was one of the very first classes I took. And, and so you hear a lot of people say, well, if you can't do it, you teach. Well, <laughs> in, I've heard that. Yeah. And so <clears throat> my first class with you, we had an arrogant operator. Dallas? Yeah. Okay. Um, that... <laughs> was trying to test Lieutenant Dan. Oh. I think he was implying that you're teaching because you can't do it. Well, Lieutenant Dan stepped up on the line and just nailed it, and it shut that up quickly. And so there's two parts to that. Um, he can teach it, but he can display it with proficiency, and it's, and that's, I mean, it's impressive. I'm so glad that, as a, even though you're Garland, that you have impacted so many of our SWAT guys. Thank, Thank you. you. I, I remember that class. I know what you're talking about. <laughs> <clears throat> and that, and it, it's happened a couple times to me. Um, there was one. Um, it actually happened to be down at Mid South with a Navy guy, um, and that's and that's where I really learned the demo thing. A lot of instructors don't demo, and I mean down there, then Mid South, you dem. I mean you're. I mean you're demoing in front of special ops guys. So, you know, it, it's the kind of I say the pressure's on, but. Um, you know, you have to be able to perform, but I was always of the mindset of, okay, I'm telling you to do this. I'm a visual. Like, I got to see. If I see you do it, I, okay, I can do that. If I, somebody just tells me, I, I don't do very well with that. So, and that's kind of what I took as far as my instruction was, hey, I'm going to show you how to do this. <clears throat> now, this is how I do it, because, and this is why. Uh, you may not be able to do it. You know, I'm a short, fat guy. You know, you're a tall, skinny guy. You're a tall, skinny girl. You may have to do things a little bit different. That's okay. You're left-handed. I'm right-handed. There's different ways. But I'll show you those ways. I'll give you – I like this. My thing was always, hey, look, I'm going to show you a bunch of different ways. You pick which one works for you. I don't really care which one you pick. Just know the limitations of which one you're picking. And don't pick it because it's, you know, I have limitations because it's this may be a little harder. Well, that's not really a good reason. If it's like, well, hey, I'm, you know – 
I, I shoot my pistol right-handed and my rifle left-handed or vice versa. Well, that, you, you have some things to work around, but they can be, they can be worked around. Not, you know, because you're lazy and you just don't want to do it. That's not really a good reason. Yeah. So. I, you know, you touched on something earlier when we were talking about the people that don't understand the difference between the training and the reality, right? Some people, well, you, you train as you fight. Some people believe, well, this is not real world, so I'm not going to be real world. Well, as soon as we walk out the door as a police officer, you're you're in the real world. Right. Your, your mindset should go to red immediately as you walk out that door anticipating something, especially if you're an individual that has a marked squad car at home or whatever it may be. But um, I do know that uh, you your, your training style provides a platform for thought that individuals can take from there but also incorporate into the real world right i mean your 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 stuff is re- very realistic it's created for that yeah if you if it and it, you know in the range you go to the range and you try something right you you, you dry fire practice i dry fire practice every day um uh, then you go to the range and you try it on the range okay this is working um but my you know the thing that comes to mind is a holster Right. right. I've had guys come out. They got their uh, triple retention, Judge Dread, you know, the old Safari Land, two snaps, rocket, you know, whatever. Halfway and, down their leg. Yeah, halfway down their leg. <laughs> and, uh, you know, I'm like, okay, have you practiced with that? Well, no, no, I just, okay, well, you just, you better practice with it first before you put it on and go out on the street with it. Um, and I had a guy, he came out to open shoot, bought the holster, thought it was like real easy. Did like three. I said, well, snap it all the way in. Well, well, no, I'm not going to do that. Okay, well, then you're defeating the whole purpose of the holster if you're not snapping all three snaps. That's why it's a re- triple retention holster. And and after half a day, he's like, okay, screw it. And he actually left the range, went back, sold it, and bought a different holster. I mean, so the, the stuff does translate. And if it doesn't translate, then you probably shouldn't be doing it. I mean, there's nothing like, at least with the firearm stuff, a lot of the stuff translates. It, it translates into the real, the real deal, like you said. I mean, there's nothing, there's nothing I show you that's not gonna translate. I mean, it's it's realistic stuff. It's gonna work if you do it right, and you need to be prepared for it not working. You know, the gun doesn't work. Okay, hey, well, malfunctions. Well, we practice those. Hey, one hand shooting. Those things are those things are realistic. Um, now, some things are just fun, like transitions. You practice transitions. You know. Um, and I've asked guys with a lot more experience than me, hey, have you ever seen that in real life? And there's maybe one or two times they've actually seen it. So maybe I don't need to spend as much time on that as I do, you know, shooting, just regular, you know, single shots, uh, trigger control, and and, uh, those kind of things, because you're probably going to do that more than you're probably going to do a transition. Same thing with a reload, if you think about it. I mean, I still practice reloads, but do you need to really practice for like three hours of reloads? I mean, if you think about it, in the real world, you got 16 rounds in your gun. If you shoot 16 rounds and have to reload and then shoot some more, one of two things has happened. One, you're in a really, really bad situation, which means there's probably going to be more people there. Or two, you just really suck at shooting and you're not hitting anything. Because if you shoot 16 rounds in the city of the city of anywhere, you're responsible for those bullets. You better know where they're going, and you, you, if you don't, you know that's a whole, that's a whole other thing. The quickest way to a new career is shooting something that's not supposed to be shot. So, 
um, you know, you, you, you temper. And everybody likes to practice what they're good at, me, myself included. So you got to really do the stuff you're not good at because that's why you're practicing. You know, I mean, if I'm a great hitter in baseball, but I can't field, I don't need to just keep hitting. I need to probably work on my fielding. So. And Didn't John Wick shoot more in the 16 rounds? That's John Wick. Okay. John Wick's, you know, that's a whole nother, that's a whole nother story. John Wick or Clint Eastwood? You know, if you'd asked me a few <laughs> years ago, I'd have probably said Clint Eastwood. But I, I got to go with John Wick. John Wick, he's a badass. He's yep. a badass. And he actually, re if you watch, like, the gun runs dry. He actually does reloads. Uh, I'm not real big on his little center access relock stuff. But, I mean, he's he can shoot. He, and he actually trains. There's videos of him. He trains with Taron Butler. I mean, he can he can work the gun. So it, it's it's come a long ways from Point Break. Yeah, Johnny Utah. <laughs> yes, where he where he punched the face on the beach. Yeah, and then the the old uh, you know chasing the guy and he twists his ankle and he oh, just yeah. just Sneak. decides to shoot his gun up in the air for whatever reason. I'm like anger moron. He obviously went, didn't go to your class. Yeah, so. obviously not. No. <laughs> hey, uh, so. For people that don't know you, but the ones that do, the ones that don't, you bring this intensity no matter what the situation is. I know we've worked on, we worked with you guys in the past on some things. Um, we know a lot of your uh, caretakers over there in the SWAT. I know a lot of different Garland officers, but you are always very, not just intense, like, like all built, you know, just you're the same intensity you bring to training is the same intensity you bring to the table for operations for your daily life. What what gives you that? Where where do you find that? Ooh, that's a good question. Um, I don't know. I, I just I probably learned that at West Point. It's uh, you know you of course when I went that was like back in the eighties. So I mean you you're under you have you have the best way to describe that first year is everything you do is wrong and there's at least four people there to tell you how wrong it is and how you need to do it a different way um and it was just you know kind of ingrained in you kind of like with the head minute caller thing hey you're you're in charge you need to be in charge you need to make a decision people are looking at you you need to you need to do do something do something even if it's wrong i had a you know sergeant major once tell me Sir, if you mess it, if you do something, do it 100 miles an hour. Because if you mess it up, sometimes people won't even notice. But do something. Don't just sit there and do nothing. So I think that was that was kind of the intensity. And, and I've always kind of been a student of leadership um, and seeing, like, why, like, w w how do they do it? Like, how they, the practical application. Um, I went to, some of you won't be surprised at this, I went to this ILEA class, and they had a leadership portion and I was kind of excited and the guy started talking about theory this guy has a theory and this guy has a theory and, and of course I kind of got a lot to say I'm like okay hey why do I care about a theory I don't care about a theory because if you're telling me it's a theory then you're telling me it may or may not work I said why aren't we we should be learning practical application and the example I use is Joshua Chambers from Civil War um, he was a school teacher and he's a general he's on Little Round Top and for those that Civil War buffs uh, he leads a charge down a little round top, basically saves the day for the Union uh, and helps win the battle. The significant thing is he led a bayonet charge. And he's a school teacher. 
And the important thing is his guys followed him down the hill. So if you watch, there's different movies about, uh, like if you watch Gettysburg, there's a good scene where he goes, hey, fix bayonets. And they're like, what? He's hey, fix bayonets, boys. Okay. You know, and then he pulls out the sword and leads the charge. And the guys followed him. That's the important thing is they followed him. I mean, if he was a jackass, they'd have been like, see you, Josh. You know, have a nice day. Uh, you know, things like that. And, and just leading from the front, I think you have to have, if you have the intensity, that's going to kind of bleed off to your troops. They're going to see that and they're going to, okay, he's, he's intense. We need to be intense. Or, hey, he's nervous. You know, th and that's the other thing. You got to have that, I say calmness. Um, I, I kind of get excited sometimes. But, uh, you know, g guys and girls can look at you and go, they're going to look at you and go, okay, is he like freaking out? Because if he's freaking out, that's you know, that's a bad thing, right? So you you got to at least have the air of calmness. Like, hey, we know what to, I know what to do. Um, I like movie quotes. If you've been in my classes, you know I use movies. U five seven one, where Harvey Keitel tells uh, the dude, "Hey, you're the skipper now," and the skipper always knows what to do, even if he doesn't. You know, the captain's a mighty and terrible thing. You know. And you do, you have, you, you never, I try to never say, I don't know. I'll, I try not to, especially like, hey, what are we going to do? Man, I don't know. That's, that's not, I'm not off. That's not a good thing to say. I don't know. You know, if, if they go, hey, you know, when are we getting, you know, when are we getting our new guns? Man, I don't know. I get checked. Well, that's a difference. But, you know, you're on an op. You better, you better have some answers or have some ideas. Listen to you talk about movies and leadership. What you were saying reminded me of a scene from Saving Private Ryan. I'm sure you've seen that. Oh, yeah. Whenever the medic got killed out there and Tom Hanks, the captain, and he had to crawl over out of view and he just broke down crying because yep. he did not want his troops to see, to see that pain and see that side because it could be looked at as weakness. And he's the leader and he had to lead them after, the, he, after that incident. That's yep. what that reminded me. I'm I'm a big movie buff too. So oh yeah, there, there's, there's a there's a lot of lessons. There's a lot of lessons there, and that and that's one of them. I mean, that's a that's a deal where you know he's got a crappy job there. Hey, you're taking your guys, you're putting your guys at risk, and you're saving this one kid. And a lot of times, you know, I, I look at my job as you're, you're trying to shield your guys from the BS that comes from the top, right? You let them focus on the job, give them, you know, parameters. Um, and, and let them do their job. That's that's one of the things that, uh, you know, I try to take pride in is, hey, I delegate a lot of things, you know, uh, especially in SWAT, you know, to younger guys. Hey, handle this. And you delegate, you give them the, you know, the, the resources they need, and you let them do it. And they'll surprise you. Uh, sometimes they don't understand a mission, and sometimes you just go, hey, just because, I mean, like, they can probably Ryan kind of hard to go hey we're going to put ourselves at risk and go get this one kid you know the the, the line guy's like screw that guy but you know you, they don't understand the bigger picture you know i learned a long time ago you got to think global you can't think local if you're thinking local you're, you're people are going to start out smart you need to think global like what what are the bigger effects of what we're doing and that's kind of it you know that that guy's you know the sole surviving son we, we gotta go get that guy that's that's the, and then, and then bottom line is that's the mission. You don't have to like it. You just have to go do it. And you, they can't make you like it. And that's okay, too. And we can talk about it. And you can, you know, hey, well, I don't think this is a good idea. Okay, well, you know what? Duly noted. Let's go.
I mean, that's that's just the way it is. And I think sometimes that that kind of gets lost with um, some leader. They try to, they, you know, the other thing is if, uh, and I saw this on a, on a meme, you know, if you wanted to be liked, you should sell ice cream. Right, don't be a leader. Sell ice cream. You, you can't. You can't worry about that because they're not going. Not everybody's going to like you. Not everybody's going to agree with you. Uh, you know, I, I I compare it to ordering pizza. Like you order pizza. Well, what do you want on pizza? Well, I want pepperoni. No, I don't like pepperoni. I want sausage. I want onions. I want. Okay, look. You know, and if you've been to my classes at lunchtime, and we've had to go, you know, send out for lunch, you'll know that you get a number one. And if you don't like the lettuce, you can take the lettuce off. You can take tomato off, but we're getting number ones. It ain't Burger King. We're just getting you food. Um, so, you know, that's it's just part of it's just part of being in charge. And if you don't want to do that, then don't be in charge. Yeah, I think you're well. One, you're fortunate. Just you as an individual, I think you kind of carried this. Obviously, you learned it at a very young age. I think part of it is just you and your demeanor, but. I think a lot of times people get into leadership roles and they have no clue as to what they're getting themselves into, right? I look back when I promoted to a sergeant, and uh, I'm sure there's people along the way that don't agree with half the stuff I've had them do, so on and so forth. But you just don't know when you get into that position how to adapt to that role. We we provide training, but you know I think you learn your leadership roles and your style and so on and so forth. Yeah, you you know the and I've been to the I've been to some of that leadership training, and it, it's more to make my opinion of it was a lot of it was more administrator driven than than leadership driven. Um, you know, when I was in the army, I had a platoon sergeant, and he one day I'm kind of hanging around, you know, as a new lieutenant, not really knowing what the hell I'm doing. Like you said, hey, I'm in charge, but what do I do? You know, and uh, this guy was like the epitome of the platoon sergeant. If you looked up platoon sergeant in the dictionary, this guy's picture would be there. And finally, he just looked at me and he goes, Lieutenant. Why don't you, sir, why don't you go do some lieutenant shit? And I'm like, what is that? Tell me what that is. What, what am I supposed to do? And he goes, okay. He goes, CO calls you Dan, right? I'm like, yes. He goes, okay. You need to fight for the guys. And, sir, you need to fight until he calls you by your rank. When he calls you by your rank, then I suggest you stop because you've gone as far as you can go and you're about to get yourself in trouble. Okay, got it. And I have taken that little piece of advice, that little nugget with me my entire career. Even now. So. You push and you fight until they say lieutenant, and then you know, okay, I've gone about as far as I can go, and I need to stop. But, I mean, you, you learn. I mean, and it's not rocket science. It's, it's really not. I mean, you, your major uh, job is to take care of the people that you're in charge of. If you take care of them, they'll do this work. I mean, they'll do it. You just leave them alone, step in and, as needed. But, I mean, they'll do the work. They're smart people. We have, we have smart people doing this job. I mean. And if they do stupid things, then you tell them, hey, that's dumb. Don't do that. Do this. But, you know, you, you eating last. I mean, I learned that right. That's one of the first things. I, that's, you know, hey, you eat last. Troops eat first. You eat last. You can drink coffee, but you can't eat. Eat last. And if there's no food left, guess what, Lieutenant? You don't eat. Okay. That's, but that's part of it. Not, hey, I go first. You go last. Um, you know, you, you kind of, you learn. You know, one of the things we did, again, in the Army, uh, our our colonel wanted us to eat in the mess hall. So he lowered the fee for us to eat in the mess hall. Well, there was a section where the officers ate, and then there was a section where the troops ate. Well, I would always go sit where the troops ate. And I had this lieutenant come up to me, and he goes, hey, why don't you go in there and eat with the colonel? I go, 
the colonel doesn't want to eat with me. I go, he's got colonel stuff to do. I'm a lieutenant. We got nothing in common. Nothing. He's a colonel. I'm a, I'm like, we're like this. Uh, I said, but if he wants me to come eat with him and he says, hey, Dan, come sit and eat with me, then I'm going to go eat with him. But if you want to know what's going on, you need to come eat in here because people talk because they don't, they don't care. They're going to talk in front of you and you're going to hear what the problems are. If you want to know what's messed up, you go to the lowest ranking guy and you go, what's screwed up here? Because they got nobody to protect and they'll tell you everything you need to know. But it's, you know, the, the leadership training, sometimes it was geared more towards administrative stuff as opposed to leadership stuff. And there's a huge difference. So, oh, I'm sorry, Mr. Gillespie. I just want to know, you came out of West Point in the Army, tanks. Have you ever felt invincible? And then when did it change in your career? Invincible. Ooh. You know, in Desert Storm, we felt kind of invincible because our, our, we had, you know, M1s, M1A1s and nothing could touch us. So you're, you're kind of, in, in, sort of, I mean, you, something can always happen, but you're cruising around the desert at 60 miles an hour and 60 tons. It's pretty cool. But uh, I don't know that you feel invincibles. I don't know. That's a good question. I don't, I don't know that, other than that, I don't know that I've ever felt like, hey, nothing's going to happen to me. Um, when I got shot on the drug raid, um, back in 98, (laughs) you realize pretty quick, you, you're not invincible. Um, I got shot twice, helmet in the chest. Um, and then after that, you're just kind of, you, you kind of have that. And I think everybody has it at some point in their career. You kind of have that little talk with God, like, Hey, that was really close. And then you realize, okay, Hey, this job is dangerous. Dangerous is kind of what makes it fun, right? That's why we do it, kind of, you know, carry guns, drive cars fast. Uh, but then you realize, hey, when it's your time, it's your time. And that's, you know, it's it wasn't my time. And that was kind of the, I guess, understanding I got was, okay, hey, look, you got more stuff to do. I'm not telling you what that is. You'll figure it out, maybe. Uh, but it's not your time yet. So, I mean, that's. You just, it's just one of those things. I think uh, that'll parlay into something I wanted to touch on. 2015, 2016, well, 2014 to 2016 was a pretty rough years for law enforcement. Us here in the Metroplex, those that don't know, we had several critical incidents in what I would call a very short period of time. Uh, we had our uh, headquarters attack, um, which was a pseudo-terrorist attack, individual upset with the police department over a child custody issue, uh, shot up headquarters in the middle of the night, obviously knowing there's not many people there, didn't want to cause too much damage, or he could have left a uh, uh, left devices in the parking lot that actually went off, uh, got in a chase with a armored van. That, that individual ended up losing uh, his... Uh, momentum with a 50 caliber round south of Dallas. Uh, We had the, obviously, July 7th, but in the interim, and I know you've taught this, and I guess this comes into play as you as an individual that has been well-versed in many different things, whether it be military, uh, everything you've submerged yourself into in the police department, the team leadership role, you promoting to lieutenant in 2010, which was uh, 2010 or 11? 11. 11, which 
don't know for all of us were the ones that you know that were there and the ones that couldn't be we were rooting you on because it was great to see the garland guys were so happy to know that now we've got a leader a commander above us that's going to take us to the next level uh but your leadership role and everything else that you've had throughout your career i think culminated in my opinion i don't know you tell me uh but the terrorist attack in garland texas uh the drawing of the prophet uh, that should be, I mean, it made national news. You guys were out there for a long time. You guys did a phenomenal job dealing with that situation. I know there was a lot of uh, back and forth, probably stuff you don't want to get into, but I know that your leadership role in that incident uh, prevailed. Not only that, but you guys have some excellent officers in Garland. That's not to diminish any communities or our own. You guys just have good officers. Uh, that's why the criminals know that they can come to Dallas and <laughs> commit a crime and don't step <clears> on <throat> borders of Garland. But um, do you mind talking about that? Yeah, no, that was a, um, you know, the, there was an event. That, that event happened in May. Uh, what a lot of people don't realize is there was an event in January. Uh, it was called Stand with the Prophet. Um, and that was kind of the catalyst for this whole thing because uh, at the Stand with the Prophet, they had had these events uh, all over the country. Um, no big deal. It was a Sound Vision was, I think, the name of the company that put them on. Um, they had done them all over. We, you know, we've done it. We did our, you know, our homework there. Hey, yeah, they've had these all over. There's been no big deal. Well, in this particular case, one of the speakers or the guest speaker, the keynote speaker, was a non-indicted co-conspirator from the World Trade Center bombing in 93. So. The Colwell Center is a school district building. It's not a city building. And they do, you know, volleyball tournaments. Uh, now it's, it's, it's even a bigger venue. They do concerts. Graduations is the big thing they do there. Uh, but school district building, so there's a lot of activity. So, uh, you know, the soccer moms got pretty excited when they found out the non-indicted co-conspirator was going to be there. Well, there were so many protesters. They had, like, Facebook groups of different, you know, uh, Stand against the draw, the stand with the profit event. Um, there was even one. It was the actual name of the group was "Fuck the Islamic Event in Garland," uh, and, and people were signing up. Like you know, you go on Facebook and you have your little group, and how many people are coming? We're keep track of the numbers, and it's it's getting up there. I mean, we're starting to go like, okay, this is going to be kind of a big deal here. So, <clears throat> if you've ever been to the Colwell Center, across the street is a Hyatt Hotel. Well, there's a big, huge parking lot across the street. We figured, okay, we'll put the protesters there. And there was over 2,000 of them. I mean, and they were all in this parking lot. And I knew we were, I say in trouble, it's probably not the right word, but I, I, knew, I knew it was going to be a big deal when people would call them and go, hey, do you allow tailgating? And we're like, what, what are you talking about? Tailgating, can, you, can we tailgate? Yeah, I mean, I guess you can tailgate in the parking lot. Well, they showed up with smokers, and they're smoking pigs on the back, and they're having a bacon contest, bacon cooking contest and one of the speakers was pamela geller uh and she shows up and does a, a she was obviously against the event so she has a uh, does a speaking engagement right there in the parking lot um and then right after that she says hey can anybody rent this building and they went why sure well i want to have an event well what event would you like to have well i'd like to have a draw with the profit event you want to have a what so <clears throat> they they she paid a lot. I think it was 
40,000 for security. A lot. It was a lot. Um, so this event kicks. We had a, at the time, we had a real forward thinking captain, Captain Brown. Uh, and he said, hey, plan this thing like it's going to happen and use everybody. And this was early, real early. And I'm glad we did that because we started very early. Um, and so this thing's going on and, and it's it's getting to the point. We're starting to get closer to, to the deal and everybody thinks, well, she hadn't paid yet. So they probably, they, the thinking started to be, well, she's not going to pay. She's going to go find someplace else. I'm like, no. Of course, we started following her on Twitter. We started following her on uh, Facebook. Instagram wasn't a thing yet. Um, and she had some backing. So I'm like, no, this lady's got backing. She's she's going to come here. I said, you know, if you have a wedding, your daughter gets married and you have a wedding uh, and you schedule the wedding, you don't pay up front for the wedding, right? You pay, like, right at the last minute. <clears throat> yeah. Right? Yeah. I said, okay, well, that's exactly what she's going to do. No, I don't think she's going to come. I'm like. You, you're underestimating this lady. I'm telling you, she's coming. And then sure enough, two weeks later, bam, pays for it. And and then we have it. So for us, you know, in our planning, we sat down, uh, the SWAT lieutenants, the bomb lieutenant, and we started looking at events across the nation. Well, there had been two other draw the profit type event. Well, Charlie Hebdo was first. Uh, then there was another one in the Netherlands where it was the same. It was It was very creepy for my master's. I did a... A paper on it and it was it was very creepy because it was just like this one it was like a a uh they had different speakers they had like table set up it was like a round robin type deal all talking about these just draw the profit stuff and a guy showed up and um tried to kill the the artist didn't um and he ended up getting killed but when we started doing our intel gathering uh, we realized pretty quick, hey, look, every time somebody does one of these draw the profit things, guys show up with AKs and start shooting people. So we need to be you know, kind of prepared for that. <laughs> um, and it was kind of like, well, I really, really don't think that's going to happen. I'm like, no, I'm telling you, we, you know, we need to be prepared for that. Because, um, again, one of, one of you know, the things I've learned is, uh, you know, preparation is not overreaction. Preparation is preparation. And if you prepare for an event um, and nothing happens, well, you don't lose out. You prepared. And things that you thought were going to be, were going to work, may not work. It was better to do it there when nothing happens and go, hey, you know, we thought I could make a phone call and we can get all these resources. Yeah, you learn. Guess what? No, we can't. So now we need to have, we have need to figure out another way. Um, and we had lessons from that. I mean, we thought we had a pretty, we had a pretty good plan. Uh, it worked out. You know, but there's still things that we learned, um, and, and I'll get to those here in a second. But so we we start planning, and and a lot of it was the, the terrorism stuff was just starting to kind of kick around. It wasn't wasn't here yet, so it was everything was more like, oh, that's happening overseas. It's not happening here. It's overseas. Uh, so when it did happen, you know, one of the I remember having a discussion with some of our admin. And they're like, well, hey, do we have a chase car? And I'm like, a chase car for what? Well, in case they come by, they shoot up and they drive away. I'm like, okay, these people are not going to drive away. They are going to stop, get out of the car. They're going to kill as many people as they can until we kill them. That's what we're dealing with here. We're not dealing with Johnny Gangbanger. We're dealing with terrorists, and that's what they're going to do. So, and of course, that's exactly what they did do. Um, and, you know, one of the things that, and like you said earlier, I mean, that event went, we started, 
oh god we started like probably eight o'clock in the morning we didn't get done till four the next morning i mean it was a long a long day with the uh you know with the terrorists and then the, we thought we had a car bomb we had to do the, the bomb the tbt guys did a great job doing that um and one of the things we learned was you know that morning we got everybody fed we want to get chick-fil-a so here's this, just and put this you know, put this in your pocket for later. Chick-fil-A obviously is closed on Sunday. This event was on Sunday. We wanted Chick-fil-A, but we couldn't get Chick-fil-A. So we ordered Whataburger. Everybody got a number one. <laughs> you didn't want the lettuce, you took the lettuce <laughs> off. Uh, the problem was now this event had gone into the night and into almost <laughs> the next day, and we needed to get food. So we didn't know what to, like, where were we going to get food. Uh, so it was it was kind of funny. Myself and the other lieutenant are like, gee, where are we going to go? What are we going to get? We can't go here. We can't go there. We can't go to the drive-thru now and go, hey, I need 100 number ones. They're going to be like, it's going to take forever. So one of the, one of our guys, and this is kind of another leadership lesson, junior guy goes, kind of over here, just goes, hey, sir, uh, you know, when we're in the frat house, we just order pizza. We're like, what did you say? He goes, when we're in the frat house, college, we just order pizza. Go, man, that's that's a great idea. I go, how many pizzas do you think we need? He goes, how many guys we got? So I start counting. I, I quit counting like at about 70. He goes, I don't know. 20 larges ought to do it. I'm like, okay. You got your P card with you? Yeah. I said, okay, go get a car. Go get pizza. And he took off. I don't know whose car he took. I have no idea. I know he probably stole one because we didn't have cars where we were at. So he stole somebody's car and went to uh, Sally's Pizza. And walks, and he's dressed in all his SWAT gear. He didn't change out. He walks in, and they're got it on the TV, and they look at him. They look at the TV. And go, hey, you're the guys from the deal. He goes, yeah. He goes, hey, you want a beer? He goes, nah, I gotta kind of go back. I gotta get some pizza. So well, how many do you need? I need twenty larges. Okay, hey, lock the door. So they lock the door. He sits there. They make twenty pizzas. He goes, sure, you don't want a beer? He goes, nah, I'd love to. Maybe when we're done, but I can't right now. So they gave him twenty pizzas. Didn't charge us. We we got them a plaque, and he came back, and we got everybody fed. Well, at the end of the event, we, of course, there's debriefs all over the place, right? Everybody's having a debrief. We have one with the city. Well, one of the city people uh, who's over the emergency operations center is like, well, you know, for the emergency operations center, there's a logistics person, and you call the logistics person, and you fill out the card, and then I'm like, ma'am, look, I don't, I don't, we don't have time for that. There's no, there's no time for that. Well, you know, I go, look, I know how the system works. We fill out the card. We say we need food, and we, the logistics guy gives it to the, you know, the the incident commander, and we get we you send us food. I go, we didn't have time for that. Goes, well, what did you do? I said, I sent one of my guys to go get pizza. Well, how'd that work? I said, it worked great. You walk in with a machine gun, you pretty much get whatever you want. So, I mean, it worked great for us. But the lesson we learned was, hey, day goes into night, and we may have you fed in the beginning, but you may not get fed later. So now we are self-contained. Every Anytime we do an operation, anytime we do something uh, along those lines, we have a cooler with the drinks and snacks and stuff. So we are self-contained because we don't know when we're going to get fed and you may not get fed like real food. So, you know, we fill up the cooler and now we're, we're self-sustained. So, um, you know, a lot of, a lot of things went into that. The, the we went to a PRSBI class prevention response to suicide bombing in New Mexico mm -hmm. tech. I think a lot of you guys have gone. It's great. It's free. Look it up for those interested it's a it's free the government pays for all of it and it's a really interesting class uh and that that helped us with the barricades we had barricades set up um we had a cordon we had we had a lot of safety protocols in place that we learned from that class 
Um, and, you know, these guys showed up. They, it's kind of funny. The, the officer that was posted at the West entrance was a late addition. He wasn't initially on it. It was just going to be the unarmed guy was going to be there. And this guy kind of came late. I go, hey, just go over there to the West entrance. It's going to be real boring. You just got to let in, you know, the caterer, the guest speaker. It's going to be real quiet. Of course, then the two guys from Phoenix show up. And, and all day long, they've been telling people, everybody's trying to stop there and park. And he says, no, you can't park here. You got to go down there. Well, these guys pull up. The security guy goes up there, and the guy just jumps out with AK, starts shooting at him. He takes off running because he don't have a gun. And then the officers start shooting. Uh, the other guy gets out. They start shooting, and the SWAT guys roll up. So they're getting shot up pretty good. Um, the last guy's moving around. They think he has some kind of device, so they, uh, based on the, the suicide bomber training, shoot that guy in the head uh, and stops the stops the threat. So then they thought they thought they may have devices. They thought the vehicle had devices, so they used the uh, uh, call it extraction tool was the was the word they used uh, for the trunk. And turns out there were no explosives. But the good thing was we planned for that and we we played it out. And that's and that's one of the things you know. Another uh, planning lesson is. You know, you, you treat it like it is until it's not. I mean, once the SWAT team gets out there or, or, you know, you go to a call and it's, hey, there's a guy with a gun. Well, there's a guy with a gun until there isn't a guy with a gun. And the minute you try to explain it away, that's when you get yourself in trouble. You know, it, it is, that's one of my things. Hey, it is till it's not. We're if, if SWAT gets called out on a barricaded person and we think the person's in there, we have no contact. Well, then they're in there until the team goes in there. Clears the whole place and says, house is empty, which has happened before. But you, you got to play it for real. That's why, they, that's why they send you to all this training and they send you to all these schools to have these skills, is to use these skills. So, which goes back to what you were saying before. Right. The training, the training for real life. Right. And, and, you, and the guys, the good thing for me, I didn't have to tell the guys. When, when the shooting started, you know, our plan was, hey, if something happens, we're going to move the attendees into the uh, auditorium, the big... Uh, stadium area you know i didn't have to go hey move the hostages to it was already done because everybody knew the plan even down to the lowest guy so god forbid everybody got killed except for the lowest guy the lowest guy knew the plan and he could execute the plan and and you have to do that everybody needs to know the plan everybody needs to know the job of the person above them because they may have to take over and that's that's one thing i don't think we do a good job with in law enforcement is preparing like mentoring and preparing somebody to take over for us. I mean, I've seen it in my department and other departments, there's the guy, right? There's the guy that does wi widgets. And the guy's been doing widgets for 20 years and he's the best, he's the widget expert. Well, the problem is nobody else knows how to do that. Well, guess what? Widget guy is going to retire someday, he's going to leave and now he's going to take over. And now you have this vacuum. Instead of, you know, bringing these people along and, and, and training them and giving them an opportunity to excel or not, because you may think that, hey, they may be, hey, I'm going to be the widget guy. Look, dude, you're, you're not the widget guy. You want to be the widget guy, but you're not. You may be something else, but you're not that. And, and those conversations need to happen as well. But you need a mentor. And that's one good thing, at least from the SWAT side, is we try to mentor those guys. You give them responsibilities you know, equal to their abilities. And then you start giving them more and more and more. And then you start making them responsible for more things. Well, then they can, everybody can do everybody's job. And then when somebody's sick or they're out or they're 
retire, you don't have that huge gap of, oh, crap, what are we going to do now? We don't have somebody to do that. Well, who used to do that? Johnny used to do that, but, you know, Johnny's not here anymore. <laughs> Dan, what, uh, I, I don't know how you guys have it set up, but I'm sure it, <clears throat> that, that thing unveiled itself pretty quickly. At what point did you know about all that? I mean, were you in a position where you could hear the gunfire, or was there radio chatter, or was it just the uh, reactionary? Actually, um, the GISD was there. They had cameras, and they were closer. They had cameras all around the building, and they had cameras in where she was doing her deal. And I was in there watching, and she had just, this is so, it's so ironic. She just said, thank you all for coming. Uh, have a good night. Be careful going to the parking lot. And I remember walking out of the room going, okay, hey, she's done. Let's get these people out of here and let's go. And right after that was, I couldn't hear the gunfire, but it was shots fired, officer down, west entrance. And I'm like, oh, shit. So I immediately, we're, I'm in the auditorium, and that's where I was. We were kind of in the back. Ran out, ran up the hill um by the time i got there the terrorists are dead uh another funny thing is so rick cutler irving was um we had them on standby to come help us and i think we had you guys were to cover like if something happened hey they're gonna come help us you cover the city kind of a thing and then uh he called he had called me and said hey what's going on i said it's nothing's going on well then he right after that he called me and he goes, is everything good? I go, no, it's not. I said, I got two dead terrorists and possible car bomb. I need you to get to Garland right now. He goes, stop fucking with me. I'm like, I am not fucking with you. You need to get here right now. And so the good thing, going back to TTPOA training and all that, well, he knew where the station was. He knew where the fire admin was because we'd done training there. So he knew they knew exactly where to go, and they got there. Um, and then we, we started immediately. Hey, we think they have devices. We think the car's rigged. And I remember we're on the bear camp. We're backing up, backing up, backing up. And I look at Tank and I go, "Hey, are we are we far enough back?" And he, because the parking lot kind of slopes down, he goes, "No." I go, "Can we get farther back?" He goes, "No." I go, "He," I go, "So we're we're pretty much screwed." He goes, "Yeah, if that car blows up, we're we're pretty much dead." Okay, well, we can't go anywhere. We can't leave. So I mean, we're we're kind of screwed right right where we are. So we do that. We let the snipers on the roof of the Hyatt kind of cover them, and we get back as far as we can get, um, and then it goes. And that's when I knew, okay, things have things have just taken a turn here, and this is going to be a, a much bigger deal than than it was it's before. No, <laughs> no, yeah, it's 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 global now for yeah. sure. <clears throat> global for sure. Whenever that happened, when you had two down suspects. Were were y'all thinking? I mean, I'm sure y'all did about extra threats that were, that were there that y'all didn't know about because they it's rare for just two show up. Yes, that that's a that's a good point. Yeah, we we actually thought that that was uh like a um oh, what's the word I'm looking for? Diversion. Uh, a diversion. Yeah. We thought that was a diversion. We thought okay, that's not going to be it. There's going to be more. They're going to come from somewhere else. We actually cuz the the coal center backs up to the Spring Creek Reserve, it's all wooded area walking trail. So we actually shifted our perimeter to face back that way because we thought okay hey that's what's happening they did a little diversion here they're going to come through the woods they're going to try to come through the back um and again you talk about training you talk about guys taking initiative we had a SWAT guy who was in a 
in patrol at the time. He wasn't at the event. He wasn't assigned to the event. Well, of course, you know how it is. Everybody wants to come and help, mm -hmm. right? So these patrolmen rally up, and they're going to come. They're going to try to come and help us. Well, they're coming through that tree line that we're looking at, and uh, and this guy has enough snap to be. He's listening to our channel. We were on the SWAT channel. They were on the regular channel, and we see they're moving. And, and one of our guys goes, "Hey, I got movement in the tree line. Here they come." And we're like, okay, here it comes. And then that guy heard that, and he goes, he, and he tells them, hey, wait a minute. He goes, did you tell them we were coming? They go, no, 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 we're just going to help. He goes, no, stop right now. Stop. Do not go that way. And he gets on the radio. He goes, hey, don't shoot in a tree line. It's us. We were coming. To, so you talk about avoiding blue on blue. That was, that was a perfect one there. And even when the shooting of the bad guys was happening, we had a guy who had gone to – 7-Eleven, get a drink, and was coming back. Well, by the time he's coming back, we're looking right at him. So they, the SWAT guys actually shift around to get at because it's, you know, hey, he's not supposed to be there, but okay. He's not supposed to be there, but he's there, right? We're just not going to start throwing rounds down range. We're going to move to where we get a better backstop. So they, and they're, and they're thinking about those things, but that comes from training. You just, you know, that's not a, a first day thing. Hey, you know, we, we just, you know, I just do the, you just throw that guy out there with no training. No, they had training, and they were quick to realize, hey, wait a minute, that guy's not supposed to be there. He is there. I'm not going to bitch about him being there. I'm just going to shift my position to where now, you know, I have a better I have a better angle and a safer angle. Yeah. So as a commander for that incident, as you look back, um, how do you feel? Uh, that's not that's not the right question. I guess from your perspective as as a leader, how did that make you feel knowing that you're not only your training, but the, the same stuff you've instilled in everybody just, I mean, it, it, it happened. It was taken care of just like you've been saying over and over again, you trust your people to do their job and uh, y'all had a plan. I mean, how does that make you feel when you look back at that? It was pretty good. Uh, I was, was, you know, it was, it was a good feeling. You, uh, you know, the guys, the guys performed, magnificent i mean it was it was awesome it was awesome and, and i tell people you know throughout um when i when i've done this debrief you know they knew what to do we but we trained that mm -hmm. you know we we trained them and they knew what to do i didn't have to tell them what to do uh, and one of the cool things was during this deal um you know our, our assistant chief who was over it over it was brand new no swat experience nothing his first basically his first deal um, welcome yeah welcome <laughs> welcome to swap uh you know but uh, and he's our big chief now chief brian uh and we've met you know chaos is it, things are just crazy they're you know and we just happen to meet face to face and he's just like hey uh, i have no idea what to do i need your help i'm like hey sir look we got we got these people are safe everything's locked down We'll give you, you tell me what you want done. We'll give you recommendations. We'll pick a course of action. We'll do it. Don't, we got it. And he trusted us to do that. He did not, I mean, he did. He trusted, again, it, it's kind of a, you know, you're coming from the top down now, but he let us do, he had faith. He knew we knew what we were doing because he had come, you know, he'd seen us train. And since, since that incident has come out before to watch us train, do explosive breaching and other things, because when the event is going on, that's not the time to be schooling them on what you're doing. You do not have time for that, you know. But he trusted he trusted us to do what we needed to do, 
he knew we were trained and he let us do it. You know, and, and I always I have a lot of respect for him because of that, because other people in his position might not have done that. You know. Lieutenant Dan, what is the one skill that you don't have that Ooh. you wish you did? Oh man. There's a lot of those. I don't run fast. I've never run fast. Um when when I, again when I was in the army I was at Fort Knox I was trying out for ranger school cuz in the armor branch they only had a certain number of slots. So there was running was a big deal and I just could not run fast and I actually went one of my uh PPE Department of Physical, Physical Education instructors from West Point was there at Fort Knox and I'm like sir what do I what do I do? I can't and he goes well how much you weigh and back then I was like 185. I go 185. He's like, okay. He goes, uh, every time you run 185 pounds, it's coming down on your knee. He goes, Dan, it's like this. Some people are built to run and some people aren't. You aren't. Just the way it is. So, I think, so you wish you were a better runner? I, yeah, I don't run very well. Um, now I really don't run well at all. Um, I probably, and I don't know if this is bad, but sometimes. I should probably shut up instead of. I, I speak my mind sometimes. The skill mm. of keeping your mouth shut. Yeah, I, I don't. I don't. <laughs> sometimes it's good, but sometimes it's 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 not. I have to know this too. Um, has the caliber, the personality, the skill level of SWAT operators has it changed over the years, and how? Yeah, I, I think now they are responsible for a lot more stuff. When I started. You did drug warrants and you did barricades. That's it, pretty much. Uh, if you were, I mean, for us, we didn't have, you know, you weren't going to special events. You weren't, we weren't doing any kind of uh, uh, dignitary protection stuff. Not like you guys did because, you know, perennial president stuff. I mean, nobody like that comes to Garland, but, uh, or we haven't had that. Um, but now, after, especially with the terrorism stuff and everything else going on, now you're, you know, your high risk warrants, your barricades your riots, your uh, dignitary protection, your event security, your every other every other break glass in case of emergency thing that the chief, you know, wants you to do because inevitably what happens is, well, who are we going to get to do that? Uh, man, I don't I That's what SWAT guys do. They'll do it. So, yeah, I think they're, I think they're responsible for a lot more stuff now. They have to do more, um, which makes it hard for training because you have limited training time. You have limited training days. Uh, so you, you're having to cover more things, uh, but I think what's hard now is finding finding people that want to do it. They're just not not like it used to be. They just don't, for whatever reason. I mean, to me, that was always that was my goal number one. I just wanted to be on SWAT. And my oral board, I even said that. Hey, well, you know, what do you want to do? Uh, all I know is I want to be on SWAT. And <laughs> the, I remember because the. Uh, the two guys at the head of the table, one was in a uniform, one was in plain clothes. And I thought the uniform guy was, like, you're trying to figure out, like, who's who, who's running the show. And, uh, I thought the uniform guy was running the show until I said, I just want to be on SWAT. And then that other guy just lifted his, Commander Rex Plumley, and he lifted his head up, and he just looked at me, and I'm like, okay, no, that guy is in charge. He's he's the guy. And he was. He was over SWAT. Um, but I think that's the challenge now is, and, and, and that's across the board of everybody we talk to, TTPOA just they're having tryouts and people just aren't wanting to do it. Mm. You, have, we, you have hard questions. I know, Go back to Josh. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> we, we've talked a lot about SWAT. 
but you got a lot of young <laughs> officers listening. You got a lot of seasoned officers that have no interest in SWAT. Right. And then you have a lot of civilians. Give me a quick recipe on how to improve weapon skills for them out there listening. Okay, that's that easy. They can do on their own. Finally, easy. Okay, no, you've been asking some. No, it's I okay. Challenge you. It's okay. It's okay. Don't no. dig into his emotions. Yeah. Yeah. Speak about bullets and firearms. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, going going back to the skill I don't have. I'm not a like touchy feely guy. I don't I don't do well with that. We, we can't. I'll hug you. Um, so the best thing to do. No, 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 I don't like you like that. Um, is is dry fire practice. I I preach it. You know, every class I'm in, I've taught dry fire practice. Um, every day I do, and you can ask, you can check, you can come by my house, you see me in the morning. My neighbors all know I do it. My wife knows I do it. Everybody, I put a target up. I got a target up on the garage door on the inside. Uh, I do 10 aim fires, 10 ready positions, 10 draws, 10 reloads every morning. And if you do that, and especially now because I know ammo is expensive and it's it's hard to get out there. If you do that, your your skill level will increase. Now, you, obviously, uh, you know, you... For those that have the little red dots on their pistols now, the red dot's a good tool because it tells you when you're messing up. It moves, right? You think you have rocks. I When I first started doing red dot, because I have to do that now because my eyes are horrible. I can't see sights anymore. So, Father time. Yeah, father time. <laughs> so it, it's definitely a good uh, tool for that if your eyesight's getting a little, uh, well, you know, not as good as it used to be. Um, but the dot will tell on you. It'll tell if you're, you know, not, you're moving the gun with your hands, with your grip. Um, so dry fire for sure. Um, and then you go out to the range and kind of validate, you know, what you've been doing, you know, and you don't, and you don't need like to go out to the range and shoot a million rounds. If you have 50 rounds, you can do that. Mid-South, we used to call it the graduation program. And it was all those basic skills. It was aim fire, uh, single shots from the ready, two shots from the ready, uh, single shots from the holster and reloads. And you could do that with 50 rounds. Easy. You know, if you do it each one of those twice, you're almost to 50. Then you can go back and work on, you know, what what you weren't good at. For which for me is strong hand only, support hand only. I really suck at that. I just, you know, and distance distance was something I wasn't really good at. I've gotten better because I've been practicing it a lot. So, and don't think that changing the gun is going to make a difference. It may, depending on what gun you have, but. Uh, if you have horrible trigger control with, uh, you know, a Glock and you buy this fancy 1911 because you think that it's going to be better, if your trigger control sucks, it's going to suck. So work on that. It, it's it's the archer, not the arrow, usually. Because everybody will, everybody will, one thing I learned from Rob Latham, first thing you do is blame the gun. The gun's messed up. But it is the first thing you blame, but it's usually not the thing. It's usually the shooter messing up but dry fire practice for sure get your little timer pack timer set the par time and get after it oh, yeah. Yeah. i just want to say thank you i love to sit and talk to you but thank you for improving me <laughs> you did well you listen though that's and you're a great instructor well thank and you and you've touched like like josh said you've touched so many officers i don't even think you realize how many officers no, you touch? and but the thing is, you know, and I'll, I'll this is this is my last like pet peeve thing. So, as an instructor, you're like the doctor, right? You go to the doctor because your nose is stuffy, and you, you know you're blowing green stuff out of your nose. And you go to the doctor, and the doctor says you have a sinus infection. Take this 
uh, antibiotic. Now, after a couple of days, you're going to start to feel better, but finish the antibiotic. Don't stop taking it. <laughs> it's the same thing. You're going to get instruction. You're going to do things. You're going to start to have success. You're going to practice, and you're going to get better. If you stop doing that, then it, it's just going to go back. It's a perishable skill. That's why the dry fire is important. It's free. It's in your garage. Set up a target. The cool thing is your neighbors will not come talk to you. I actually had neighbors years ago. We had, we had this little block party thing, and the people, I didn't think anybody was watching. But they were like two houses back. They had a set two-story, and they would, when I opened the garage, they would watch me do my dry fire practice. And it became like a family event. It's like, hey, he's out there again. And they all come to the window. And the guy told me, he goes, oh, hey, yeah, you're the officer. I go, oh, yeah, you've seen the like, squad car? He goes, oh, no, no. He goes, you do the you do the gun stuff and that and you know at such and such a time and we all come watch. I go what? He goes, oh yeah, it's like a family deal. He's like, oh, he's back there again. We think it's the coolest thing ever. So, but you know they never bother me. So it was it was good. But I wonder why? Yeah. <laughs> the only only guy that ever had come talk to me was, and they moved. It was my next my right next door neighbor, um, and he was a World War II veteran, and he would come by and he talked and I, oh that's cool and you know, but everybody else was kind of kind of looking wave so but it, the thing is you guys listen i mean and I, I most of the people listen and then they you know they'll come back for a second round later on and you know i'll remind them like oh yeah yeah i go well I, you know I told you the last time and then the challenge is if when those people don't listen you got to kind of cut them loose you can only take them so far and you know in my classes i'll get to the point where hey look i can't sit here and just tell you all the time i have other people i need to go help if you're not gonna listen to me, and I can be by this time now, my I figured it out. You're not listening to me. I'm not talking to you anymore. I'm gonna. Just, you're just gonna suffer in silence. I'm just gonna come down here and help people who want to be helped. And that's what you're gonna do. awesome. Dan, we want to thank you for coming on. Thank you for taking the time. Thanks for having me. This was fun. We appreciate everything you've done for us. Like Misty said, not just for the two of us, but for everything you've done for. I can't tell you how many officers out there, but. Uh, Thanks again. Uh, thank you for your service, for sure. Appreciate your leadership. It's bled over to some that are on this department. Uh, and I just can't thank you enough. Thank you, sir. Appreciate you coming on. Thank you for having me. You're welcome back anytime. Thank you. Oh, yeah, for sure. It was a good time. Hey, brother, hey, sister, I'll never give up on you. Say, mister, I'll see this all the way through.